house of the Lord tonight. David was apologizing for the smaller crowd. I told him that uh, this church has got Sunday school classes larger than most of the churches I preach in. I've always considered myself kind of a country preacher. Now that I'm retired, I'm a poor country preacher. But I do appreciate this opportunity to, uh, to be here with you tonight. My assignment was to take us through Matthew chapter 10 and verses 27 through 42, since I am the last of four to participate in this presentation, I, th I think I want to try to bring forward some of the things that uh, Royce and Charles and Alan shared with you before, and, and also give us some takeout, some things that we can uh, take from all four parts of this series and put into use. You know, we can sit around and read the Bible share fellowship, and all that's good, but there's a lost and dying world out there who needs Jesus, amen? amen? And here we are with the good news, the gospel, with Jesus, the Savior of the world, and there's people waiting to hear there's somebody in your life right now who needs Jesus. So I hope some of what's been said in this series, some of what we'll say tonight will better equip us What is the meaning of Christian discipleship? Well, the Bible says that a true disciple is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ who freely and joyfully receives and freely and joyfully extends grace to others. Jesus teaches us that doing this does not come naturally. Our personal struggle with sin, and we're going to talk a lot about that tonight, our personal struggle with sin, but then we're going to spend an equal amount of time talking about the, the good part, the good stuff, our personal relationship with our personal Savior, and what that really and truly means. But it is a struggle, it is difficult, we know that it's not easy because of the old nature because of the external forces around us and our ongoing battle with daily sin. But again, there's an answer. The Bible gives us an answer, a solution to this problem, an answer to every question. And we're going to try to explore some of those tonight. In our own strength, following these instructions is difficult. And so God has provided leaders like Pastor David to guide us. And sometimes they step on our toes. Sometimes they seem a little harsh, don't they? Welcome back, Jonah. Good to have you, bro. About uh, three years ago, his real grandfather, <laughs> David Talbert, and I decided we wanted to get in one more hike up on the Appalachian Trail. Problem was, it was December. And it had already snowed one time. Nonetheless, Miss Louise dropped us off up there at Woody Gap, and we headed south. <clears throat> sure enough, very quickly we were in the snow. No big deal. We had uh, waterproof boots and our winter sleeping bags with us. So, hey, this was fun. Until we got over on the north side of the mountain, and it turned into ice quickly. So there we are heading down into Hightower Gap, and we're falling and getting up. We're falling and getting up. A hundred times or more, we're falling and getting up. 
And finally, within sight of the camp, we, it, it wasn't far, I fell down <clears throat> for what I thought would be the last time. And from my position on the ice, I said, David, you go ahead. I'm, I'm just going to stay right here. I, you know, I get up my sleeping bag, I'm going to stay right here. And if you know David Talbert, you'll appreciate this. He stood over me and he said, get up. Get up. He loved me too much to leave me down there on the ground. I mean, a piece of candy and a hug would have been nice. <laughs> but that's what I needed to hear. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, that's what you need to hear. Get up. David loves you too much. The Lord loves you too much. And he's not going to leave you down there to die. Take a look with me. We're going to start in the shallow end and try to go deeper here. Verse 27 says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. You see, Jesus is saying that we must take his personal instruction into the public arena. The Christian life is first and foremost between you and your Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank God for the times of worship. We thank God for the fellowship that we have in churches just like this. But it's like the Bible says. Sometimes you can leave this property, and within an hour or two, maybe quicker, you forget who you are. If you're not spending time in God's Word every day, if you're not praying to God every day, you're not growing. You're not becoming that person that Jesus wants you to be. Luke 12, 48 says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Satan is not afraid of religious people, is he? In fact, some of his strongest allies are religious people. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters said, The devil is not opposed to religion. Think about that. The devil is not opposed to religion. Because he knows if he can convince you that this is the end rather than the means, you're really not going to be very effective. So coming here on Sunday is like the pep rally. Coming here on Wednesday is like the pep rally, and we need that to encourage us and to encourage one another. But you will gain what you need. You will gain what your brother and sisters need from you through that daily devotional time. The people of God, the church, must first know the truth and then stand for the truth, no matter what the cost. That's a principle that we're going to develop here tonight. We look on in verse 28. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Mark 8, chapter 
verse 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We were coming back from Kenya several years ago, and we heard that a school just north of Nairobi in a town called Garissa had been taken captive by the soldiers of al-Shabaab, the radical Islamic movement there in northern Kenya. And they had killed, systematically, 58 of the students there. Every one of them was a Christian. And we heard later that they went from one to the next. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And if they said yes, they were shot and killed. That is faith. Now you may say, oh, Brother Clark, that's kind of a radical example, an extreme example. But that's the kind of example, that's the kind of testing that we have to be prepared for. Because our faith, what it really is, not what we say it is, will come out in the day of testing. I wish I could say that my faith has always been what I thought it was. God's helping me to make it stronger in the places it needs to be stronger. But that next test, that stress, that crisis, whatever it is that's coming in your life will prove to you who you are and the kind of faith that we need to have. We move on in verses 29 through 31, and Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore do not fear, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus first teaches us that God watches over these little tiny birds. He protects them. He provides for them. But no matter what Disney has to say, <laughs> birds and animals are not created in the image of God. That distinction is reserved for human beings. And so the redeemed, you and I, those who have been bought and paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, think of how much greater value and usefulness we are to the kingdom. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Greater love than this. There is no greater love than this. Your 500 friends on Facebook <laughs> didn't die for you. They might be your friends in reality or in fiction. But greater love than this has no one that he lay down his life for his friends. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so our supreme devotion, our supreme allegiance has to be on Jesus Christ because greater love than this has no man. There's no doubt in my mind that my wife loves me. We've been married over 50 years now. I know that she loves me. 
But when my time comes to depart this life, she'll let me go. Because she knows that there's a greater love waiting on me. And every person who dies in Christ goes immediately into the presence of the Lord, into the greatest love that can be known. And there, with all the saints, we'll spend eternity in glory. Think about that and contrast that with where the lost of this world are tonight. Lost without hope, separated from a holy and righteous God because of their sin, because of their ongoing rejection of Jesus Christ. And you and I have that good news. You and I have that obligation to continue witnessing for Him. Look back in verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says that if we confess him in this life, then he will confess us in the next. How do we confess Christ? Well, for example, we admit that we need him, and we claim his personal salvation. And then, too, we tell others who Jesus is and how they, too, can be saved. When you were saved, when you called upon the name of the Lord, when you received Jesus, that was your justification. You received 100% of the person of Jesus Christ. You receive 100% of his saving grace. You don't get a little bit of Jesus here and a little bit of Jesus there. But the choice that we make for daily sanctification is that pathway of discipleship through which God, by his power, is conforming us to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. There is no greater calling. There is no greater joy. And again, that is where our highest devotion belongs. How do we deny Christ? Well, by not saying anything about our ongoing need for Him, but also not sharing the gospel with others. You know, sharing the gospel is fun. It really is. I love to preach, I love to teach, but my greatest joy is seeing other people accept Jesus as their Savior. And it's really fun. Years ago, we started outreach here in this church with a training program called Evangelism Explosion. Church members took the training, got involved, so a lot of people come to faith in Christ. And the next one was called CWT, Continuing Witness Training. Had several semesters of that too. And then in some other churches where Louise and I were serving, uh, we did one called the Sunday School Evangelism Strategy. And all of these together, you know, you memorize some verses, you memorize an outline, you put things forward. The, the visits never go according to, to plan. Uh, God's always in charge. I remember we were in our third semester of uh, the Sunday School Evangelism training program, and we actually went with another church 
down into South Georgia to help them to, to train some people there. And I was tired. I, I was sick. I didn't really feel like going out on the visitation that afternoon. So when we got to the house, I, I looked at the other two people and I said, y'all go in there and you share the gospel and I'll watch the kids in here with, with the TV. So that's kind of how it worked out. Well, about that time, the dad got home and he comes in and what's going on? <laughs> who are these people in my house? And he sat down and I told him who we were and shared the gospel with him and he prayed to receive Christ. So it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter that much what we say. It's the power and presence of the Holy Spirit sharing the name, presenting God's person in and through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. In Romans 1.16 it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But here's the warning, and we need to heed this warning. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me ask you tonight, are you proud in the good sense of that word of everything that God has done for you in Jesus Christ or are you ashamed of the gospel? Will you stand for truth when tested? Will you shine that light into the darkness? Will you allow God through the Holy Spirit and the teaching and preaching and reading of his word to help you to divide rightly? The spirit of truth from the spirit of error? Look back in verse 34. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You see, there is in this world the spirit of error, but there's also the spirit of truth. And people are either in Christ or separated from Him. Where do you stand tonight? On the spirit of truth or the spirit of error? For about the last 10 years, it's been my privilege to go down to Penfield Christian Homes down there, Greensboro. It's a great facility. If you've never been down there, you ought to go visit. The staff and the counselors are doing a great work down there. And every time I step out of my car and put my foot on the ground, it's, it's holy ground. I can sense that God is really doing a great work down there. Dr. Bill King is the lead counselor, and he and I were talking a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, Clark, I've talked to hundreds, perhaps thousands of men who've come here. And the addictive personality is the addictive personality. It doesn't matter whether it's drugs or alcohol or anything else. But he said the common denominator in the addictive personality is a wounded spirit. Every one of these men, the same thing is true at heart, the facilities for women, were wounded as a child. 
and that wound has not healed. And they're living with deep, deep, low self-esteem. But then, when you start telling them that there's no greater love than that a man should lay down his life for his friends, when you start telling them that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them, a light comes on. They begin to realize who they are. So we don't define ourselves through our job or our family or our income or anything else. We are first and foremost the redeemed in Jesus Christ. Now when we keep focused on that, when we allow God to keep our eyes focused on that, and we have the sword of truth, and we have the Holy Spirit, we truly have an indestructible life. Look back in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is not anti-family. The Bible teaches us that the family, the home, is the crucible of the kingdom. And everything that God wants to do in and through you, flowing out of that devotional life, will permeate first your home, your wife, your children, the people you live with. So Jesus is all about the family. Jesus is all about strong families. Back in the early 90s, Louise and I were pastoring a little church up in Jackson County. And the youngest of our four sons, Michael, was with me one afternoon as I was visiting some shut-ins. And we had visited this lady in her home several times before. And uh, she and I are talking. Michael's just watching the television. And about that time, she leans over and pinched Michael on the cheek and said, Oh, Michael, you're such a cute little boy. Why don't you come and live with me? Michael kind of rolled his eyes and said, well, I've got three brothers. You can have one of them. <laughs> That's not the kind of sacrifice that Jesus is talking about here. He's calling you. He's calling me. We can't defer. We can't say, I will not go. We must raise our hand and say, here am I. Send me. We're coming down to the most important verses in this lesson. And I hope you'll hear these. Look back at verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Paul would later write in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All of this that we've been talking about tonight, all this that we've been talking about for the last four weeks, flows into these verses. And everything and anything that God wants you to do, all that he wants you to be for the kingdom, flows out of these verses. You see, only the cross can lift you up into the realm of evangelism. Only the cross will take you out of your comfort zone. 
into the joyful outreach where God wants you to be. In 2013, Louise and I were heading out north of Nairobi. We had to do a little church. I was still getting the lay of the land. I still didn't realize how poor these people were. And as the pastor drove us, I said, uh, Pastor, when we get to the church, will they have Wi-Fi? He said, no. I said, well, I, I like to use a marker board when I'm teaching. Will they have a marker board? He said, no. When we got there, after we left the paved road, after we left the gravel road, after we left the dirt road, after we went up the goat path, we finally got to this little church, about 60 by 40 dimension, dirt floor, two by four frame, tin roof, tin siding, and about 100 people waiting to hear this little country preacher. And if I live to be 100 years old, that will be one of the most blessed days of my life. For four hours, they listened to me teach and were begging for more. You see, they don't have a 30-item to-do list like you and I do. Certainly not a comfortable church to worship in. There's not much between them and God. So you tell me, who are the disadvantaged ones? Maybe we have a little bit more to overcome than we think we do. Look at verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Christians who assist other Christians in their ministry, according to Scripture, will share in their eternal rewards. Maybe you didn't go to Benin. Maybe you haven't been to Guatemala. Maybe you haven't been to Indian Town. But you prayed, and you gave, and you encouraged. The Bible says you've got the same reward as those who went. So much so, as it says in verse 42, that whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, truly I say to you, shall not lose his reward. Church, God remembers, and God will reward even the smallest work in Jesus' name. We'll be rewarded not on the basis of our giftedness, but upon our stewardship of the gifts that we have. John, if you'll go ahead and start the video, we'll watch this little video segment and then come back and close out in just a minute. As we look back over this series that we've had on discipleship, and we've looked at different aspects of discipleship, I realize that often, those that are involved in this process and trying to give their lives away run into times of discouragement. That has happened for me. But in times like that, I have gone back over and over again to what I believe is one of the most significant promises in all of Scripture. And certainly it's been one of the most influential verses of Scripture that has guided me through the years. But in Isaiah chapter 49, three through six is a passage where it both talks about discouragement 
but also the hope of what God is promising to those who will believe him. It says here in verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. So the writer, as God is interacting here and communicating through the scriptures, that the one that's receiving this, this word from God is expressing and saying, I've, I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Then in verse 5, the prophet says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, In this, in this time of frustration and wondering, have I, have I spent my strength in vain? He's, he turns his attention to this doesn't matter of the results or what I see happening. I'm going to trust you. I will trust that you will accomplish your purposes. Then it says, now he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob or to influence those that are right there in front of you. But I will also use you to be a light to the nations or to the Gentiles, that you would bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So the, the flow here is those that are laboring and feeling like they're laboring and their, their purpose is in vain, then coming to the conclusion, no, I will trust God. I will make him my strength. And then God saying, because you've made me your strength, I will fulfill this promise. It's too small a thing just for you to be my servant but I will use you to take the reality of who I am to the ends of the earth. He wants to do that through you. He wants to do that through me. And he wants to be faithful to fulfill the promises that he has made to those who will believe. Let's pray. Oh God, our Creator, our Heavenly Father and Redeemer, we come to you now confessing that we are completely dependent upon you to do any good thing in this world. And yet with you, all things are possible. There is nothing that can stop the kingdom of God. There is nothing like the kingdom of God. So, Father, with one heart, one voice, one mind, we lift up Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Give us a new opportunity, perhaps even tonight, perhaps tomorrow. Bring someone into our pathway, and may we recognize that this is someone for whom Jesus has died. And give us boldness and courage and a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit that day by day in every way we will advance the kingdom. And when that day comes, that we'll pass from this life into life eternal. We'll hear our Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, make it so. 
In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Clark, thank you so much. Boy, we've had four great messages and four great servants cover Matthew chapter 10 with us. Next Wednesday night, we'll start Micah, the book of Micah that will lead us into the Christmas season, okay? Hey, God bless you. Love you. Shake about 10 hands before you leave tonight, all right? And we appreciate it.